0: Hi, I'm Carmen LeBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Well, good morning. Today is the day. It's the second hour of Mornings with Carmen on this December the 4th. It's the fourth day of Advent 2019, the year of our Lord. Uh, and so we are in Luke chapter 4. We started off the first hour with the first half of uh, of, of Luke chapter 4, and we discussed there um, Jesus's temptation. I guess the word is temptation. I'm not even really sure. I mean, is he genuinely tempted? Mm, I don't really know. I mean, like, doesn't temptation mean that at somewhere within you? You might have done it because I don't, you know, anyway. So Jesus is tempted, that's the language, uh, by the devil, who, I noted, needs no introduction. Isn't that curious? The devil is simply introduced by Luke to his audience um, as a character with no backstory and seemingly no need of introduction of any kind. Everybody seems to know in the days of the writer of the gospel that there is a devil and exactly who he is and and he's wily and he knows the scriptures and he knows who Jesus is. Um, and so he confronts uh, Jesus in the wilderness. That is the context of that portion of the opening verses of Luke chapter four. And then Jesus is, uh, has the opening of his ministry, um, and where he lays claim to this, uh, this revelatory passage, uh, in, in Isaiah, the prophet about who he is, like what he has come to do. And then uh, Jesus is confronted by people. So we have the confrontation of Jesus in the desert by the devil himself. And then we have the confrontation of Jesus by people in Nazareth who think, you know what, um, we we should probably throw him off a cliff. And so if you thought that your problems were just with the devil, uh, no, um, your problems are with people, too. And the answer to um, the answer by the son of God to the enemy of God was the word of God. And you and I are no different. Our answer to the enemy of God is the word of God by the one who is the son of God. And so let me encourage you with that today. So we pick up now in the second half of the fourth chapter of the gospel. According to Luke, Jesus went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath, he taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit, and he cried out at the top of his voice, Go away! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man before them, before them all, and came out without injuring him. And all the people were amazed and said to each other, What words are these? With authority and power, he gives orders to impure spirits, and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area we then get um a healing story in addition to uh this this story of of healing of demonic uh, from demonic possession um so much in here that reveals to us who Jesus is he is not only uh lord and savior he is obviously the creator of the universe who has authority over all things including impure spirits uh and so if you are challenged today living in a world where um there is sickness, there is pain, there is grief, there is suffering, I want you. I want to invite you into this Advent experience. Join with us in unwrapping Jesus again for the first time. Join us in this Advent experience of reading through the Gospel of Luke. We are in Luke chapter 4 today on this fourth day of Advent, December the 4th. Next up, uh, I have a, a conversation planned with Tyler Ellis. Why? Because he sent me an email. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Now Tyler Ellis. Now Tyler is here to argue that Jesus is not a role model. Well, that's my uh, that'd be my clickbait introduction to him. Um, Tyler, tell tell our audience who you are and why you're talking with us today.
1: Hi Carmen, thank you for having me on the show. So much. Absolutely. Um, uh, so I'm a I'm, I work with a nonprofit in Fort Worth, Texas called Let's Start Talking. I I am the assistant the Associate Director of Friendspeak, after about 20 years in ministry, mostly campus ministry. So Friendspeak is where we train churches and campus ministries to reach out to international students and refugees, and they actually read the Bible together to help them practice their English and uh, learn about Jesus in the process.
0: You know the the application of that very simple um, methodology of reading the Bible with someone in order to improve their ability to read or to or to speak the language. Um, I'm I'm finding that increasingly that is a relevant methodology, uh, not just with international students, but with students who you know are challenged with, you know, uh-huh. grew up right here in the United States of America, but but have real challenges in terms of reading because nobody read to them when they were small. Mm-hmm. So. I think there's a mm-hmm. there's an expanded audience for what you're doing. Um uh, you have just very very recently recorded and now it is available on YouTube a TED Talk, a TEDx Talk. First of all, um that is pretty unusual I think for something that when I watched it, I I thought was explicitly not only Christian but just straight up evangelistic, straight up ap- I mean mm-hmm. really good um, conversational apologetics approach. Um, how did you, as a Christian, get to do a TED talk on such a, a, a pointedly Christian subject?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I think it's really a miracle because religion is probably the least about, least talked about subject from the TED stage. And so, yeah, I, I prayed about it. I, I was working with this company that helps people get on the stage, and they actually turned me down. Uh, And I just kept praying and praying. I said, God, the word says you can change the heart of kings. So um, I had another phone call with them, and they took the chance. And so we worked together, and there were a lot of hiccups along the way. But I applied at 40 events around the world, from Texas to Switzerland, Ireland, Australia, and the one that said yes was Wiley College, a uh, Methodist School, two hours from my house. So,
0: Well, which is a real blessing, right? That's a little easier to get yeah. to than, uh, than some international TEDx stage. Okay, so uh-huh. I'm going to set it up this way. What you do in your TED Talk, um, and you say this towards the end, but I'm going to lead with this. It's not a case for Christianity, but a case study. And you start off with a story. Can you tell us that story?
1: Yeah. So I was at a wedding reception. After the wedding, I was a groomsman sitting at the head table, and one of the groomsmen, you know, there was an open bar there, so he had had a lot to drink, and he became very introspective, and we got into a conversation about God, and he told me his life story about how he became an atheist and a lot of... Difficult things he'd, he'd been through. And then he asked me, How can anyone believe in God? And, you know, the bride is about to toss the garter belt any second. It's noisy, there's a band. It's not really a good time to answer a million dollar question like that. And so what I said was, um, Hey, uh, it looks like what I have time for is a question and an invitation. My question is hypothetically, If all your questions had answers that pointed to God, what would you do? And that really took him off guard. And He said he'd think about it. And then my invitation was kind of twofold. One, do you want to meet up again in the future and tackle your questions and go at your pace? And two, I actually invited him to pray what I call the skeptic's prayer, and that is, God, if you're out there, would you please do whatever it takes to help me find you.
0: So, um I made note of those two questions because I I felt like when we're when we are in conversations, particularly with folks who are living in a way that would suggest to us that they are a non-believer, right? I don't necessarily want to make that judgment when I sit down with somebody, but based on somebody's behavior and the things that they are talking about, I I might be led to believe this is not a person in an active, engaged relationship with Jesus Christ, you know, working to be integrated in all ways with him. And so I I love that you, first of all, ask questions and you seem to approach these conversations in a way that does not suggest you are the the Bible answer man. Like you do not seem to like whip out scripture verses and slap people down with them. You seem to continue to um, draw them Into into talking, Um, I have an approach that I just call uh, I just call it "Tell me more," like right. I Mm -hmm. when I am I I just get people to keep talking, right? So part of the challenge that I think Christians face is we seem to want to be the ones I'm demonstrating it now who want to do all the talking instead of (laughs) allowing the other person to really carry the conversation. So when we come back from the break, I would like for you to um, to teach us really how you're doing what you're doing in terms of drawing other people further into the conversation by asking a lot of really good questions and so we're going to talk about your process of interviewing a lot of people um, and what you learned so this is Tyler Ellis you can actually watch his TEDx talk um, Jesus is not a role model um, I have posted it on my Twitter feed and we will certainly um, include it in in all of the follow-up to the conversation that we're having. Here today on Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with Tyler Ellis. Hey Tyler, let's um, let's tell people what's the best way for them to follow you or connect with you on social media.
1: Sure. Yeah, I'm on Twitter. Uh, the handle is B. Tyler Ellis
0: all right so if you guys want to connect with with Tyler B Tyler Ellis though that's the letter B not the word uh, the letter B Tyler Ellis um, Tyler you uh, you you say in your TED talk uh, what I will say is like a pivot point you say never give a 10 cent answer to a million dollar question what what mm-hmm. do you mean by that and how do you see us frequently doing that in the in you know sort of in our christian to non-christian conversations
1: that's great yeah you know people have million dollar questions questions about their life their purpose their afterlife and so oftentimes christians give pad answers and cliches and they don't really devote the time and interest worthy of such a question and really we got to understand why they're asking where it's coming from. The the Grimsman that I was at the wedding with, you know, I didn't know, is he asking this because he, he wants to know the answer? Is this an intellectual thing where uh, intellectual answers are going to appease him and help him take the next step? Or is he needing someone just to listen to him, maybe even give him a hug to help him through the terrible experiences that he's been through? So, that's what I mean by don't
0: give a 10 set answer. Okay. And so you conducted 50 interviews. Like, first of all, you're, you're clearly a, you're a person who is curious. And I, um, I think that is a really important attribute here in the conversation. You conducted 50 interviews in which you ask 20 questions. Um, and, and after I listened to this portion of your TED talk, I, I this is the line that came to me. Tyler seems like a guy who expects always the unexpected and anticipates miracles. Um, you had real, real interactions, real intersections with real people over real issues. Give us a little bit of a of a view into those conversations.
1: Yeah, so I interviewed 50 people. They ranged from college students, college professors. Uh, one time I had an appointment with a professor. He didn't show up, and there was a homeless man at Anera. And I said, hey, can I buy you a coffee and interview you? <laughs> I interviewed a five-year-old and an 85-year-old preacher and a rabbi and a Muslim. And so inviting them up for coffee is, is such an easy thing to say yes to. Many non-Christians, believe it or not, have never had a real conversation with a Christian that they actually enjoyed if they have. And so I ask very open-ended questions like what comes to mind when you think about God? what comes to mind when you think about heaven. And then I'd probe a little bit, but it was uh, an amazing experience that led to a lot of what I call unexpected adventures, friendships, um, service projects, um, sitting around a campfire, having s'mores, and uh, even I tell a story in the talk about a girl who called me at 3am who I had just interviewed and she was contemplating suicide and we were able to track her down and, and help her not do that and and get into the program to get the help she needed. So there was just a lot of things that I never anticipated happening. And and I like what you said. I, I do think that miracles can happen. So,
0: so one of the um observations that you make is that there was a lot of power for you in the experience of of having what I will describe and what you refer to as one-sided conversations. Listen. Talk about talk about that. Talk about the fact that these really are interviews. They really are one-sided conversations and that is a very different experience and approach for Christians when we think about cultural engagement with non-Christians. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, you know, it enabled me, when people know that I wasn't going to share my opinion, I wasn't just listening and thinking while I listened what I could say to win the argument, but I was biting my tongue and just posing questions and listening and taking notes and affirming. And, you know, when you, Jesus asked questions a lot. He really did. You can read through the Gospels, and he, he often answered questions with questions. And so what I found is questions give people an opportunity oftentimes to actually articulate their beliefs for the very first time. Uh, I was amazed how many times I'd ask a question and someone would reply by saying, man, I don't know. I've never thought about that. And I had people cry during an interview when I was just asking questions because the question itself actually pierced their heart with, with, a, with a big, eternal thought that they had just suppressed and avoided. And so uh, setting up appointments, you know, a lot of times I think Christians fear conversations. We they, they think of that proverbial water cooler at, at work where someone asks a question and we don't want to be embarrassed and, and, again, kind of like at that wedding reception, it's not really the most conducive time to, to accomplish anything with an answer right then. So instead of feeling the pressure either to answer it at that water cooler or avoid the water cooler, it, it's, it's very liberating just to go to that water cooler like Jesus went to the well in Samaria, have a conversation, but, but actually invite that person away from that water cooler into a setting where you can have a conversation that really accomplishes something one-on-one and figure out not just what questions I have for them, but invite them to express what questions they have and just really go at their pace.
0: So you share uh, share with us that uh, out of these interviews came a lot of follow-up conversations and you heard some really powerful questions um, and two of them stood out to you. Do all paths lead to God? How can one person's death lead to another person's forgiveness? You then share in your TED Talk two illustrations, which I will describe as the mountain theory and the cockroach. Um, and, uh, and I'm going to leave it right there because I really want people to go and, and hear your TED Talk. Um, and, it, and, and out of that, then, you were stimulated to see whether or not uh, those questions were really the questions ringing, ringing true in the culture. And you found confirmation of that in the, in the 2019 Barna study. Um, where 44% of Christians actually agreed or strongly disagreed, or excuse me, strongly agreed or agreed somewhat with the statement, if a person is generally good, they can earn a place in heaven. Um, this, this whole concept that we can do enough good or be good enough to get into heaven, and that that is the way that this happens, um, led you really to this observation that a lot of people view Jesus as a role model, but in the wrong way. So we've got like a minute left for you to unpack that and entice people um, to to sort of check this out further.
1: Yeah, so I've asked people over and over, on what basis do you believe God will or will not accept you into heaven? And over and over, people say acceptance into heaven depends on our performance on earth. And so when I went out again in those follow-up conversations and shared illustrations and answers to their questions for me, I often found people saying, "I think I just understood Jesus for the first time," and I'm amazed that actually so many of those people—a large percentage of the people I interviewed—had were ex-Christian people who grew up in the church, and a few of them were current church-going people. But for them to say, "I just understood Jesus for the first time," it was very perplexing to me because when I asked them. What comes to mind when you think about Jesus? They tell me all these details and facts, but yet they appeal not to him and what he accomplished to get them to heaven, but on their own merits. And so, I went looking for some clue of, of how this happened. And I really, some of the cross. This phrase that kept popping up over and over and over is that people view Jesus as a role model, including Christians. So it's really this idea of, you know, he came to show us how to get to heaven. That was the purpose of his coming, you know, follow his teaching, follow his examples. And if we could just be like him, you know, that's what Christianity is about, whereas every other religion has their way. And so that was a misconception that Jesus didn't come to show us how to get there by our merit. He actually came to be the way to heaven based on his merit. So that really changes our motive for doing good because it takes away the fear and the guilt that so often drives us and it replaces it with a gratitude and a love that compels us totally different.
0: It's totally different. It's exactly right. Um, And I just really, really appreciate it. I look forward to the follow up conversations. I expect there to be a book. I expect uh, to hear a lot more from you out there in the world. And we want to have you back. So Tyler Ellis, uh, thank thank you you so much for being with us. We're going to send people uh, to your TEDx talk. I got to take a quick break and then we'll be right back. All right. Uh, my next conversation is with Morgan Tyree. She and I are talking about uh, the clutter in our lives and how to get a handle on it. The book is Take Back Your Time. Identify your priorities, decrease stress, and increase productivity. And I need it. And I suspect maybe you do too. No matter what the season of your life, if your life is a bit of a mess, Morgan Tyree is going to help us get organized. That's up next here on to the Carmen.
2: This is Max Locato. I've always perceived the Apostle John as a fellow who viewed life simply. Right is right, wrong is wrong. But I like John the most for the way he loved Jesus. Jesus was a good friend with a good heart and a good idea. A once upon a time storyteller with a somewhere over the rainbow promise. Jesus was above all a loyal companion. Messiah, yes, Son of God, indeed. But more than anything, Jesus was a pal... Jesus was a friend. Now what do you do with a friend? You stick by him. Maybe that's why John is the only one of the twelve who was at the cross. He came to say goodbye. After witnessing this simple love, aren't we left with a burning desire to have one like it? Aren't we left wondering if we would have been the one to offer a smile of loyalty to our dear Lord? I hope so. This is Max Locato.
0: Delighted to introduce uh, listeners to Morgan Tyree. For those of you who don't know her, you can find her at MorganizeWithMe.com. That would be OrganizeWithMe with with an M at the beginning, MorganizeWithMe.com. Morgan has worked in the fields of marketing management and human resources. She is currently raising three kids in Fort Collins, Colorado, with her husband David She blogs regularly at MorganizeWithMe.com. In fact, she just posted a blog about a minute ago, which uh, shows her distinct time management. Uh, She contributes monthly to the popular blog Organizing Junkie, which you can find at OrganizingJunkie.com. And she's here today to talk with us about her book, Take Back Your Time. Morgan, welcome to Mornings with Carmen.
2: Well, thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here.
0: I thought about posting pictures of my clutter spaces <clears throat> prior to this conversation so that you would know um just how uh selfishly needy I am for this particular conversation.
2: I would have loved that. We could have gone right <laughs> gotten right into it.
0: <laughs> well, we are going to get right into it. Um let's uh, let's start with this. Um, I could describe my season of life, and then that would probably help you understand why I have the kind of clutter in the kind of spaces I do. Talk with us about the seasons of life, particularly maybe the seasons of your own life, that really do shape the book, uh, Take Mm -hmm. Back Your Time.
2: Yes. So first of all, I think we all struggle with clutter to some degree. so And that's one thing I address in the book is to start with kind of identifying the season of life you're in. And I personally have walked through very significant life seasons. And as you mentioned, I'm currently in a life season of raising teenagers and running a business. So definitely juggling all sorts of things. So I think it's really important that we each individually sort of identify what we have to manage in our current life season, because different seasons are going to provide different opportunities for us as far as our capacities and thresholds for what we're going to be able to actually get done day to day.
0: I have discovered um, as I am now in a season of life where uh, where I'm married and Mm -hmm. there are teenagers in the house versus a very long period of time in which I was single. I didn't get married until my early 40s. So one of my observations is I had a lot less clutter and I was the only person ever generating any clutter when I lived by myself. And now Mm -hmm. there's a lot of other people's clutter as well. So my temptation to control other people's clutter is pretty high. Um, And so your seasons of life conversation I thought was particularly helpful because I can simply de-stress by recognizing not all the clutter is my own.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. There's sort of an acknowledgement piece and then an acceptance piece because, you know, I we all have a, a different clutter kind of capacity or acceptance that we can live <laughs> with.
0: And I you my know, sister and I this. historically have called that the dirt threshold.
2: My dirt threshold yeah. is is higher than hers. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And we're all gonna have differences. And so I don't think we need to tolerate, you know, everything, but there is an acceptance piece that can allow us to live more harmoniously together, for sure.
0: I like the, um, the part of the book. And again, I'm talking with Morgan Tyree about her book, Take Back Your Time. Um, I like the part of the book, Morgan, where you talk about the challenge of too much time. I do not feel like I currently suffer from the challenge of too much time, but too little time. But talk about how they're both. They're, those are both challenges.
2: Yes, for sure. And I'm sure for a lot of people that may not resonate as easily, depending on, again, what season of life you're in. And for me, this came about, we moved overseas for a season, we were overseas for three and a half years, and it was for my husband's job. And so my life sort of, you know, totally took a complete turn of, you know, I went from having a very full schedule to really not having much uh, dedicated time to anything. And it was hard to find employment and all sorts of things. And so um, I sort of struggled with having a purpose and a Direction And I was motivated and wanted to do things, but I was limited. And I think someone that's maybe, you know, uh, retiring or moving into a new life season, or maybe someone who uh, decides to stay home with young children, you're going to enter into a new season where your time isn't as defined for you as maybe it once was. And so it's not that having... Less structure is a negative thing, but it can be challenging to then manage your time because it's less structured for you by just by nature. And so it's just kind of recognizing that and then still trying to be intentional within that reality.
0: Okay, I I think that the essential um, maybe the guts of the book uh, are what we will talk about next. And that's this three color time zone system. Green, yellow, and red. Briefly introduce them, and then we come back from the break. I'm going to have you unpack them a little bit further.
2: Okay. So they're modeled after a street light, which we're, you know, probably all mostly familiar with. So red, yellow, green. Red is your stop time, your time when you slow down, your restorative time. Your yellow is more of your multitasking, kind of that like start-stop when you're choosing to multitask or do tasks that don't require as much focus. And then the green time zone is when you're doing your more concentrated work, so something where you really need to be focused on just one thing at a time.
0: And we might, uh, other people might think of that as that deep work. And I think that our deep work is what often gets interrupted and we confuse it with multitasking time and then we never get any downtime, any restorative time. So let's talk about that when we come back. Uh, My conversation partner, Morgan Tyree, you can find her at Morganize Me, that's Organize Me with an M at the beginning, MorganizeMe.com. She and I are talking about her book, Take Back Your Time. We'll be right back.
2: Mary, did you know that your baby boy Lord of all creation? Mary, did you know-
0: Talking with Morgan Tyree, author of Take Back Your Time, also host of MorganizeWithMe.com. Um, Morgan, you you've laid out for us uh just sort of the beginning structure here of the green yellow red or red yellow green dep- depending on which way you want to uh have the conversation um i think that the the part of this that was uh, well there's lots of things in here that're particularly helpful to me i felt like the um prioritizing your time um actually i was just going to turn to the page and and I thought that was a really helpful like scheduling thing. And then the other thing about setting timers, which I think is like on page fifty one, um, I I thought those were just really sort of helpful hints in this uh, in this process. Talk with people about the process of sort of reclaiming my own sense of productivity by using this red, yellow, and green methodology.
2: Okay, so. The reason I came up with this is I feel like we 're sort of more distracted than ever, and a lot of it is due to technology and just I think there 's a lot more of a blur between work and home and and all sorts of reasons but so i 'm trying to just help people think of being more intentional and so I really don 't want people to hyper schedule everything but it, but more have a sense of intentionality so for example, thinking through if if you're doing a task at the appropriate time as much as possible. So if you can think of it in the color system, it just kind of gives you a quick check system to kind of say, like you mentioned, the deep work. If I'm doing deep work right now, am I setting myself up for success? Am I shutting things down? Am I getting in the zone? You know, if I'm choosing to multitask, is it a good time to be multitasking? So just kind of being more aware of choosing when you do the task at the time. And so um and the timer is a great tool just in general because I think sometimes we uh have a really hard time focusing on just getting something done from start to finish, whether it's a small or a large task. And so if you give yourself, even if it's 15 minutes and you just set a timer and you just focus on that one specific task, I think it's surprising sometimes to see what you can actually accomplish if you do that one thing. And it may not even be a deep type of task, but just something that truly, you know, you're working on for just, just that one thing for 15 minutes. I know
0: that writers do that, like, right, they set a clock, they set a timer, and they're, they're just really pressing themselves to, um, to achieve a word count or just have a free, you know, free flow of thought for a certain period of time. Um, and so I do think that it is, it, it is something for which we have examples, but it's not necessarily, I'm going to use the word discipline, it's not necessarily a discipline that many of us engage in um, or that have, we have paid attention to as our season of life has changed, um, that's the part that, for me, I think was most critical. My season of life has changed pretty dramatically, um, and my work schedule has changed pretty dramatically just in the last year. And I don't know that my um, clutter management has figured out a way to keep up with that yet. So um, so I'm certainly uh, benefiting from the conversation that we're having. The book is Take Back Your Time. Uh, Morgan Tyree's website is morganizewithme.com. Um, Talk with us about one of the recommendations that you make in the book, which is to remove the word busy from our vocabulary.
2: Yes. And so the reason I say that, it's not that it's a bad word, but I feel like there's a common tendency to almost take on the attitude of that things happen to us rather than that we've made a choice. And I'm not suggesting that we Um, that everything that we've made a choice on every single thing that comes our way. But I do believe, and I say in the book that time management's nickname is choices, because I do feel that a lot of what we do day to day, we have a lot of choice in. And so, and you mentioned the word discipline. And so just, again, kind of reminding ourselves that if we want a certain outcome for our day, or we want to produce a certain, you know, level of output for the day or whatever, that we choose to be more disciplined or choose to be more intentional. And and that boils down to choosing well and making the choices throughout the day. It's really a daily choice and a daily habit to um, decide what we say yes and no to. Our yeses and our nos have, um, they have a ripple effect to how our days um, unravel really, or how they end up being hopefully positive or negative in what we want to achieve.
0: So, um- when we talk about who this book is for, um, I really think it's for everybody. If you had a person in mind right now for, you know, we only have a few weeks of 2019 left, um, organizing, it tends to be a big emphasis at both the end of the year and the beginning of a new year. Um, If I were going to share this book with one other person, um, who would you say I could share the book with without then also kind of hurting their feelings? I could imagine this is a book that my friends would want to share with me.
2: Mm, that's a really good question. Um, you know, I think it boils down to someone that is wanting to work on it, because I think that really, like, for example, as a professional organizer, when someone calls me, they sort of have to get to that point where they're ready. So mm-hmm. not that you couldn't just give the book to somebody, but I would hope that they're receptive. And I think when someone's ready to take the next step, then they are more receptive to receive it. So that would be kind of the check that I would want to kind of check, you know, like look, kind of consider that because um, if, you, if you consider that, then hopefully the person will receive it and, and move forward with it. Because a tool is only good if somebody actually wants to use the tool.
0: We are in a season um, where I feel like we all have to be somewhat extra organized. There's, there are many extra demands upon us in this season. There's a lot more stuff coming into our houses Um, There are decorations now that uh, compete with whatever I normally have up and around, um, and so I have to stash other stuff away. Talk with us about managing uh, or feeling sufficiently organized or managing how we organize during the holidays.
2: So, I would say it's really a good idea to kind of consider what you want your home to feel like and look like. And just because you've always done something a certain way, it's okay to evaluate and change things. And so, it's okay to, you know, even maybe adjust tra- traditions if it's time to. Uh, change things as kids get older Uh, I for example only have four bins of Christmas decor and that's even including like our outside Christmas lights now that we do have the one tree that goes in a big box but I mean our Christmas decorating took like an hour and that's including the tree we put up so uh, it's you know it doesn't have to be overly complicated but decide what you want it to feel like what you want it to look like and it's also a good time when you're getting out the decorations to really do an inventory get rid of the broken pieces um and avoid going out and buying a bunch just because you see new stuff, or or even when it goes on clearance. You know, it's I'm just a firm believer that less is more. I see a lot of excess uh, with the work I do, and I just think that um, if you go if you go back to having a vision for what you want your home to feel like, use that as the filter for your shopping and for how you want your time to be spent.
0: So I want to invite people to um to your blog at MorganizeWithMe.com. Um I'm I'm clicking around. First of all, it's it's lovely. It's beautiful. It's calming. Um oh, when thank you, you. When you think about the, th- the third one, that's if I scroll down the page, you have this one called your organizing personality, and you address that in the book a little bit as well. Um, I think this is, a, this is an opportunity to set people free. All of us are organized. We're all organized. We just do it differently. Mm-hmm. So let this be the sort yes. of set them free portion of the conversation.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I actually have a client who I'm going to be seeing today that I do follow up visits with. And um, one of the things I do with my clients is I really try to address kind of their, their tendencies and their personalities, because I don't think that I think we tend to kind of put organizing in a box. And really, we all have ways of managing our stuff. It's about finding the systems that work. And so for anyone listening, it's just, you know, think through what makes you feel calm, what makes you function best. And really the the baseline of organization, what I see is just really trying to streamline how much you own, you know, less is more. I'll go back to that again. And I'm not saying you need to be a minimalist. I'm just saying that you have to consider that everything you own requires something of you. You know, it requires your time. It requires space. It requires energy. So just consider you know what? How much you want to maintain and pour into, and then setting up systems that you can maintain are going to allow you to live easier day to day and help you not waste time looking for stuff and also not have to go out and buy things because you can't find them when you need them.
0: Morgan Tyree, thank you so much. I wish uh, either you lived closer to Nashville or I lived closer to Fort Collins. Um, <clears throat> I feel like I need you, but thank you for the oh, book and and thank yes. you for the blog. The book is Take Back Your Time. Morgan Tyree is the author. You guys can visit with her at Morgan. All right. Tell me the website again. It's Organize With Me with an M. So MorganizeWithMe.com. Morgan, thank you so much. Thank you. All right, friends. So that is um, that's all the time we've got today. I I, there's some days when I'm so excited about the conversations that we're having that um, I miss a break. And so uh, I apologize one break today we'll just have to i don't know catch up on a break tomorrow paul what um what is your organizing personality feel like you're very organized um okay i'm i'm kind of a mess i mean okay I'm, I, <laughs> I, I i fight my messiness yeah never mind it, it, not let me set. ask this are you a are you a pile organizer or a file p pile p or f oh pile me big too. time big time me big too time. I'm a, total, I'm a total pile person. All right, so maybe that's the question of the day. Are you a pile person or a file person when it comes to your organizing personality? Um, I, I am going to uh, bid you good day. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.